NIC, reppin' New York City Live and direct, cause he always come correct But yeah. he does an interview and makes the streets all connect He stimulates the brain, the immobile device And wants to smash like the Hulk when he claps you with advice oh. It's all about the news when he drops in beast mode yeah. So pay close attention, shit's about to explode Ladies and gentlemen, actor and producer Robert Lozardo. Robert, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Ethan. It's a, it's a pleasure uh, to speak with you, and thank you for having me on the show. No, 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 thank you for being on, man. Your career is so extensive, man. Like, you know, you had so many turns and whirlwinds and um, so many things that led you to Hollywood. Um, just take me back from the beginning, man. Um, how does um process began for you? Like, um, I know you're from New York City and I'm from New York as well. Um, you're from Brooklyn, right? Yeah, props to New York City and respect to Brooklyn. Old school, yeah. I was born born in Brooklyn. I was born in Coney Island Hospital in 1963. So, yeah, it's, it's been a minute. You know, I heard New York has changed a bit, though. But that's okay. Everything changes. That's life. Yeah, man, everything is different now from Coney Island Hospital, especially in that area over there. Oh, my God. So it's, if you come back to visit, it's so different now. Yeah, I've heard stories, you know, but I guess, you know, it's it's progress. So you got to just roll with it. Um, but people say to me, hey, Robert, you know, where are you from? I'm like, well, where I'm from doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's tricky. You know, here's an interesting thing is that, you know, a little brief history is that I spent 18 years of my life in New York, okay? And then I went into the military for four years. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I mean, here's an interesting thing is that, you know, I mean, when in retrospect, I guess what I mean in retrospect is when I look at my, my life, and I spent 18 years in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. And then almost 30 years in California. So it's ironic to me because, you know, I, I, I consider myself, I guess, I don't know, I guess I consider myself lately just a, a, a child of, of planet Earth, man, because I don't even know where I'm from anymore. <laughs> like, I've traveled so many places um, that I'm not really sure on the geography anymore because I met so many people. And I figure, well, why limit myself to one experience? You know, why not enjoy them all? But so, I mean, so I guess, yeah, 18 years in New York, uh, four years in the military, and then that's, I think, the, the beginning for me of this kind of exp- uh, this exploration and travel and trying to get outside of things I felt that were holding me back or I was holding me back within that situation socially in New York City growing up in a very different turbulent time back in the day in the 70s. And, you know, uh, so I think the military helped me out tremendously in terms of discipline and, and, and uh, getting me in line so I could stay in line and then focus on maybe creativity down the road. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of, I guess, your question regarding how did things start, they didn't start well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, didn't, I had acting teachers. Luckily, I had a, a teacher in school when I was in school who worried about me and wanted me to get involved in uh, creative, creative practice, you know, in drama classes and things like this, like things like this to work through um, some of the conflicts that we all have as young men and, and people in general uh, coming up at that age and all the confusion that surrounds us socially, social, you know, socioeconomic depression and you know, living in ghettos and projects and things like that and feeling not that you're really not worth much, you know? And so you're dealing with self-esteem and you're dealing with uh, identity crisis and all these things that hit you on a daily basis. And so I was like, you know, one of many conflicted, angry, confused, and, you know, I didn't know left from right, you know? And I think that the first time I experienced any kind of freedom and sense of a purpose outside my own uh, arrogance, man, was when I got on stage and I was allowed to perform and I was afraid to do it because I'm like, what am I doing? What is this? But they said, no, let's, you know, trust us, try this. So I did it. I got involved. And next thing I know, I felt, you know, I don't know, I felt, I saw the response that my classmates 
uh, had toward what we were doing, all of us on stage, and I was amazed that for moments in time, I lost sense of what I thought myself to be. And then we're in these, you know, these, these, these situations or these, these uh, improvisations or these plays that were you know, supposedly not real, but yet all of a sudden that reality became the dominant perception opposed, opposed to my day-to-day life. So it became a form of escapism, a healthy form of escapism for me. Uh, and so and on that level, it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was liberating. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. But I didn't make the connection to like, okay, this is great. Now I want to become an actor. I'm going to hang out in Hollywood. I didn't think like that. I was a street guy, man. So it didn't, I, couldn't, I didn't put two and two together that way. You know, I was like, oh, this is great. Thank you. I like this, but I got to get back to the street. I got to find myself. You know, I didn't see myself. I didn't see liberal. I didn't see the, the necessarily the answer to my life's my life's dilemma, whatever that was, all the things that make that dilemma, uh, depending on the individual. I didn't see that acting or going to Hollywood or pursuing a career as the answer to my problems, man. I just saw that something to do at the time, and I was grateful that I could I could enjoy those moments, you know. But it took a long time for me to let go of an identity that kind of locked me up in a self-imposed prison before I could finally take the steps necessary to compete in a, in a, in a very, a very, uh, I guess, very difficult profession, you know? Uh, so yeah, so that's how it started. You know, just in, in school with a teacher who, who, who believed in me and say, I can save my life more or less, you know, getting me involved in, in projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you said, um, you, you know, you was a street guy. How does a street guy um, appreciate the, the craft, the, you know, the, the form of art? How does, um, like, how did you appreciate that? Like, you know, I'm sure you was always hanging down the street, just chilling, you know, chilling with the yeah. fellas, and, like, what was the attraction to it? You know, if it, honestly, I didn't even know how to conceptualize it. Okay. Um, I didn't know if I could, if I could see what you just described. I, I, you know, because like you, you say, you know, chilling on the street and, and, and some of the brothers that I was hanging with at the time didn't understand um, that transition I was going through and I didn't even understand it you know mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know how to communicate it in words um, I think yeah I didn't know how to communicate it in words I think that the more dominant impulse was to to kind of cement identity to the point where I needed to cement it in my skin thus the tattooing okay which started very early on I think I was 17 16 17 years old and the brothers around me were all getting tattooed, and this is long before it was a trend, it was cool and pretty, and was, you know, in your local tattoo shop down the street, there were no tattoo shops. So I was hanging out in classroom, occasionally doing acting class, and when I was in classroom, I was in somebody's house getting tattooed, you know, trying to discover self through the skin, to come to terms with things I needed to deal with, you know, and like I say, cementing the identity in, as a way to feel uh, uh, connected to not only just my body, but uh, a way of living that was extremely rebellious. You know, it's like, you know, and, and, and in that sense, you know, when we all, all of us did that, we, we knew that when we did that back then, it was an extreme statement to the world, and that's what, that's what the bond was. That's what, that's what made the brotherhood real. Because once you did that, you couldn't just turn around and make it disappear, you know? So to answer your question, what I conceptualized in terms of art was tattoos early on. I was ink. I loved what tattoos looked like. I looked inside, you know, I looked at the guy's wall, that had you know, all these drawings on the wall, and I got very involved in that, and the idea that that could be placed into my skin and stay there forever didn't scare me. I loved the idea. Mm-hmm. I loved that reality. So I got involved in that first, 
And then I didn't I didn't see a bridge from that world into onto the stage. Yeah. But my teacher didn't care. My teacher was like, "Keep your shirt on. Don't worry about that." Just you know, if he understood I think, what I needed to do probably better than I did, mm-hmm. and didn't really trip on that too much. He just you know I did what I did, and then when I got to school, I read the plays, I studied the plays. Some of them made sense to me. Uh, not all of what I read I could understand. I wasn't intelligent enough. I didn't have I didn't I didn't grow up in a background where, you know, the people around me were necessarily, you know, even if there were some people that were, were smart uh, in a conventional sense, through knowledge and, 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 and education in the traditional sense, it didn't affect me enough for me to, you know, sound like some, you know, some some young man who had been reading books his whole life, man, but the education I got was from the street, you know, interacting with people, seeing life up close, man, not through a book, not, you know, safely in some, you know, uh, in, in, in some situation of, of protection in a, in a nice neighborhood, man. I saw everything up close, and I felt and experienced it all. And I think that quality, maybe, and that 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 that, that, yeah, that quality, maybe, and that reality is what I brought to the stage, you know. And I think that's what people responded to, maybe. But as far as the art form itself, I didn't understand the art form until later on, until I came back from the military and started studying more seriously with my teacher privately. And then I went on to the actor's studio for a while to study at the conservatory. And I started reading the plays, doing more research, and starting. I always had an affection for films when mm-hmm. I was a kid. I liked watching movies. So I think I also got an education without even knowing it from watching a lot of old movies. You know, I didn't realize that was kind of an education that was occurring while I was entertaining myself because I always had an affection for film and I would escape like a lot of young men we go to the movie theaters we watch like the Bruce Lee movies we watch the old yeah. you know, all, these, all these movies and we <laughs> fantasize about doing that and then we get and that's what we had we didn't have computers we didn't have you know we had the street we had movies we had the, the little bit that we had we made the most of you know so we had our imagination and I realized that imagination would be the thing ultimately that would free me from any notions I had about myself that were put into me by other people didn't understand me yeah. or negative, you know, and the people that did understand me, they emphasized the strength and the importance of imagination as a way out of that condition. So many of us were locked in because everybody's telling you, you can't do this. You know, you can't do this unless you look like this or unless, unless your mm-hmm. last name is this or your skin is this or all yeah. these things they're telling you, you know, so you, you almost talk from the gate, you're going to fail, right? Yeah. So if you have one person in your life that tells you, no, you're not, then you can do anything and if that if that somehow gets in a little bit, it took me years, but to finally really get inside my hard drive and affect my thinking. So I, I go, I shift my gears and shift my, my, my navigation and head in a different direction. Try, hey, let me try this. I did all this, okay? Let me try something else. Let me take some real risks, you know, and listen to some of these teachers and try, you know, pursuing the craft and pursuing not only the craft, but going out there and auditioning. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny that you say that because, um, especially growing up in the city, you know, you have a lot of people that aspire to do so many different things, and you know, you, you hear a lot of people always putting you down, or you know, like it's usually like either a teacher or somebody that's you know that that one, like you said, that one person that believes in you that makes you want to achieve that goal and makes you want to succeed. You know, it, you know, it drives you and it pushes you because you know you see everybody on TV, everybody's like cookie cutter, apple pie. You know, and then you know you look at yourself like, well, I'm not like that. You know, I'm bald. I don't have hair. You know, um, I'm not Brandon Walsh. Or you know, I have facial hair. And you know, it's like you know, there's always somebody that's attracted to that. You know, what I'm saying you don't have to be 
cookie cutter, you know, and you know, you know, you, you kind of fit, you know, you kind of fit the mold like that. Um, when you, when, when, you know, going back, you said you went to the military. Did you have like a hard time finding a job or something in the city? And, you know, a lot of people who go end up going to the military, I'm not saying this is your case, but they usually go to the military because they can't find work or they can't find a career. Um, was your case different from that? A little bit. Um, I graduated uh, high school um, in military um how was that because you know you know there's certain there's a certain character certain person that can handle the military what did you feel you was that person that could handle it not at first no i, I hated boot camp and i got through it and i didn't just crawl through it i mean i stood proud through it but at first i thought to myself what did i do and i, I don't think i was alone in my thinking you know when that drill instructor screaming in your face man you're like you know reality hits hard but I mean, then you know, either you, you do or die, right? Or you, you fall down, or you stand up. And you know, I think, you know, whatever spirit was in me, no matter what I felt, I kept moving. 
despite of, of, of despite that feeling, I still I got to boot camp and did well. And uh, and it's funny too because when when I graduated boot camp, um, the drill instructor asked how many men wanted to volunteer for overseas duty. I raised my hand right away because I thought, shit, I'm not gonna I'm not you know joining the military just to stay in New York. I want to travel far away. I mean, I want to go to the other side of the world, right? So I figured, mm-hmm. let me get clever here. Let me you know jump up. I jumped up high, yeah. Right here, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I was thinking, well, I'll get some like some really cool duty station overseas, like in Europe. So when my orders came down. I looked at them, and like I couldn't understand the word that was written on the page. And I asked one of my shipmates, I said, "Do you know where this is?" And he looked at it, said, A D A K ADAC. Where the hell is ADAC, man? I never heard of ADAC. That's not like any place in Europe, man. And he looked at me, laughed, goes, "Wow, but yeah, that's in Alaska." Well, like, huh? It's in Alaska. It's in the Aleutian Islands, man. It's right near Siberia. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I got a little nervous. And you asked me, how did I handle it? I, my, my knees shook a little bit. I thought I got to spend two years on a rock in the, in the, in the middle of the Bering Sea. <laughs> when the sun goes down, you know, most of the time, I said, okay, I don't know how I'm going to handle that. But I did. I did. And when I got up there, I raised my hand again. Because I asked, who wants to volunteer for, you know, either the fire department or to be security? Because, you know, back in the day, the theory was if the Russians were going to come to day during the Cold War, they'd come down the Aleutian chain, right? Yeah. So they had all these, they had a military post up there. And, and there were Marines up there, special ops, security force, you know, dogs, you know, uh, all that. You know, and I, so I, 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 ironically, given my past, I, I, uh, I volunteered to be security force, man. <laughs> and I got picked. And <laughs> so they sent me to Lapland Air Force Base with the dog, uh, an attack dog. To get certified, I became a cop, man. Wow. For two years. Yeah, the bad guy, right? <laughs> became a cop. That's how I started, man. Oh, yeah. So, yeah that, and then, so that was pretty cool, actually. You know, doing that for two years. Yeah. That oh. was actually all right. That was probably the most glamorous part of my four years in listening. It's kind of funny you say that because a lot of people never want to leave New York and you had that in mind. I got to get the hell out of New York and going to Alaska. That's like the other side of the world, man. And um, I guess dealing with it, you dealt with it. All right. All right, so maybe I'm part Eskimo. I was like, wow, what are you? I'm part Eskimo, man. Really? Yeah, I've been Alaska for a while. <laughs> yeah. Is it true, like, the, there's more nights than day, like the movie 30, um, 30 Days of Night? Is it really, you know, do you see any sunlight in Alaska? There's not too much. You get some sunlight in the, in the summer. You know, it, it's ironic because it goes, it's dark most of the time. They have these, uh, these tunnels they built because the weather is so intense there. The wind is so strong, it'll pick you up off the ground. So, yeah, they have this whole network of tunnels underneath the ground because they have whiteouts out there. And in the summertime, yes, there is some light. And ironically, it stays light till mid- midnight. But that's about two months. And then it goes dark again on you. So, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, it's not the most, uh, you're going to catch a tan anytime soon over there. Oh, so what happened after Alaska? Where did you go? Uh, they I, they put me on board a ship out of San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the, guy, I, the first time I've been to, I was in California in 1983. And I uh, did two years on board uh, an auxiliary destroyer and uh, went overseas. Did my, what they call the West Pack, the you know, South Pacific cruise. I went over the world, went to Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, the, uh, Indonesia, all over the place. My travel, you know, all over. I've never seen. I never. I, we got. A, it was surreal. You know, just stepping off uh, off that ship and then walking some of these places. And I go, am I really in Africa right now? Or <laughs> to a city called Mombasa in Kenya, and that, that blew my mind. And just being there, you know. So from Brooklyn to Africa, you know, so that was that was something else. Yeah, and then um, I did, I did two years. At, so I did. I did the West Pack with six six months overseas. Went across the, the 
Indian Ocean, all that, you know, then came back and finished up my two years, and I got, a, I got an honorable discharge, and it's back to New York. Oh, so then um, when, you came, when you came back to New York, did you try looking for a job, or what did you do when you came back? Well, while I was, while I was away, you know, I kept in touch with that acting teacher I mentioned early on, yeah. and uh, we, we were tight, you know, and he always, you know, he kept, he kept me thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, kept kept my kept that light burning in me. You know, and and when I did come home on leave, a couple of times I did visit with him, and he sat me down and we just talked. And you know, he was my true north. Yeah. You know, and 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 in a creative sense, and he just kept reminding me. You know, because I told him, you know, I'm starting to think about some of the things that you mentioned. I'm starting to envision it, and I can feel like. I can feel the creative impulse coming alive in me. You know, remember, I started having dreams, you know, like dreams about school, which is weird, because who wants to dream about going back to school? But I was <laughs> dreaming about the plagues. I was dreaming, dreaming about a few experiences that I had that were endearing to me, you know? Um, so I think I romanticized that experience, you know, and I wanted to get back to it. I wanted to, at least I wanted to move forward into more of that. And my teacher was, he was the link to that world. So each time I talked with him, he, 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 uh, that, that that feeling, that impulse, that that desire grew, and then when I when, when I was discharged, I, I hooked up with him and I started studying uh, the craft again. He started you know, teaching me privately. He was you know, I was lucky enough to to have a man like that in my life, you know. And uh, he, he knew someone over at the actor studio back in the day before it was a, a TV show, which is the building, and it was very cryptic. It was like you know, it was a club, you know, you couldn't really get in there unless you knew somebody. He knew the uh, the coordinator at the time, and they had this program called the Wolfing Observer Program. Where you go in there, you do clean the bathrooms, you clean the steps, you build the set, you do all this work, and that gives you credit so that you can sit in, in, in the act where the stage is and watch some of these legendary uh, artists, these, these actors, these movie stars, teach other actors that were members of the studio. And I got to witness that, and that blew my mind, man. Seeing people that I, I guess I idolized when I was a kid right there in front of me. Here I am, you know, uh, less than a year later, out of the military, traveling the world. Now I'm in the actor's studio looking at these people that, you know, to me, lived in Mount Olympus. Like, I'd never meet these people ever, right? I'm from Brooklyn, right? I grew up this way. How am I going to meet any people like this? And there they are in front of me. Wow. Um, wow. So that was surreal, you know. Do you remember any any anybody that's like, you know, people would know now? Like, have you seen in the uh, class? Well, you know, the generations are changing so quickly. Nobody seems to remember anything. But, yeah, I mean, I, I hope they remember, like, uh, uh, Ellen, Ellen Burstyn, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Shelley Winters. Uh, I go down a list of people I ran into in, in the actor's studio. I mean, Harvey Keitel, you know. Mm. Uh, I met a lot of people that... Uh, you know, I, I watched movies that they were in. Like, I knew these movies like I knew myself because I used to watch them all the time. You know, they were like my 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 you know, like people's stories of the Bible. The way they read. I, I watched movies. You know, the way people you know read books. You know, I studied film, and here they are, here these and here they are. The people that you know live in that world that seem so far away from planet Earth are standing in front of me. You know, so I think it's kind of overwhelming, but it's beautiful to have that experience. You know, so that gave me hope. Yeah, you know, to, 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 to continue. Yeah. Wow. You know, uh, what's next, right? Um, yeah. Um, did you feel intimidated? Because then, you know, you just yes. named a whole lot of um, excellent actors there. Did you feel like, yes. well, what is little old Robert going to do? Right? Did you feel that way? Exactly. I felt, <laughs> no, yes. The answer is yes. I felt extremely intimidated and I was overwhelmed by it. But at the same time, I also felt something else, you know, I think which was um, the desire in me to try to make something out of my life, you know? So I, I think that because I, I, I think 
Yeah, I think there were some people around too that also, I think, were also overwhelmed by all that and then felt the same thing I did. But I don't know, man. I, I just, there was something I can't explain, couldn't even put it into words. Just, you, know, you have a feeling sometimes. And, yeah. And, because when you, you, you've seen what the worst of life has to offer, whether you make it that way or life just throws stuff at you. Yeah. Once you've seen that, you've been there. It can only get better. It can get worse. But, I mean, I saw some, you know, like, I, I've been through it, man. I've been through it at that point. So anything at that, at, at that stage of my evolution was welcome. So you know, they could kick me down and tell me that, because I'd already been kicked and thrown down. <laughs> Locked up. And, and, and things thrown at me, you know, physically, psychic, all this stuff has been done to me. Not because I'm, I was a victim. It's just, that's life. People, we all go through that. You know, some people go through, they go through something different, but that's what I went through. So it's kind of like, you know, that scene from Scarface when Al Pacino's character, you know, Tony McLean says, there's nothing you can do to me that Castro hasn't, hasn't already done. So, yeah, I was intimidated, man, but I was like, yeah, so what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm intimidated, now what? And after a while, you, know, you keep going there and you see them on a regular basis, and after a while, the intimidation goes away, and then you're curious about the art form, man. You say, okay, what do I have to do? What can I do to contribute to this? How can I discover my own artist? Yeah. And not go into a competition mode, but inspire yourself to get down seriously about the art form and do respect not to the ego, not to the other egos, but to the art form, you know, and, and, and do the work required. So you can be, call yourself, I guess, an artist, whatever you want to call yourself. And that's what intrigued me. And I was, I was embracing that work with my teacher and all the other teachers I would meet after that, that, you know, that motivated me. And even the ones that didn't motivate me, motivated me, because the more they try to, you know, talk negativity to me, that just made me want to do it more. You know, you can't do this. Okay, watch me. You know, because I, I was already a rebel at that point. My role was belly. Like, a lot of, some of us had that rebellious stories, had that. You know? So I was like, oh, you're going to tell me I can't do this? All right, watch me. You know, so, just, you know, you know, I was like, you know what's amazing because a lot of you know humans, uh, men, women, their biggest, I think, um, the biggest opponent in life is complacent, com you know, being complacent in life, you know, doing one particular thing and being comfort and not getting out of your comfort zone. Um, it seems to me you're a person that you had a comfort zone, but you know the comfort zone wasn't really good, so you wanted to get out of it. Um, do you feel in like, you know, acting wise, you know, you're always getting out of your comfort zone because, you know, people see you, you know, automatically, like, let's say if you're walking down the street in New York city or anywhere for that matter, people see you with a whole bunch of tattoos, you're, they're already going to have a preconceived notion about you. Like, Oh, he's probably a gangbanger or he's this and he's that. And what they fail to realize is you're an actor and you're a person making a living just like everybody else who's working nine to five. Um, do you feel, um, in life now, you're not a complacent person? Complacent. No, because to, yeah, I, I have to say no to that because to me, complacent is synonymous with lazy. And what I find is I'm, I'm tormented yeah. by the discipline that's been it was instilled, in, in, you know, instilled in me in the military. And I think also is a natural tendency yeah. within myself because I've, I've, I've experienced the other, which you described, which is not doing anything. And it's more painful for me to sit around and not do anything. Yeah. than it is to apply myself to break my own will so that I can move forward and break mm -hmm. new ground and do something that, yeah, that's maybe painful, but it proves fruitful because the act itself can teach you things. And so yeah, I'm constantly trying to dig to figure something out. It's painful, that process. I'm not saying it's fun. It's torturous, man, to sit mm -hmm. down and write something, to study a script, or to go on an audition, to continually compete and deal with all of that. But, yeah. you know, what's the alternative? Don't do anything? I, I just, I, I don't, I've tried the other. And it just, to me, that's just slow death. 
know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't consider myself complacent. I, I just, uh, you know, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I could. I don't think I'd live. I don't think I could survive. I don't think I'd live very long that way. Yeah. Um. Um. What was the first tattoo you ever got? Because you have a whole bunch of tattoos. What was the first tattoo you ever got? Um. Let me see. If you could remember, because I know you have a lot. So. Is there any particular meaning to that, or you just got yeah, it? I wasn't yeah. a professional boxer, man. I wasn't even an amateur boxer, but I, I used to mess around with the guys. I knew, I knew some young men that were very skilled fighters, and I used to, you know, used to, you know, throw punches. You know, it was kind of funny. But I, I, and I was always, you know, fascinated by the great fighters, you know, and I watched the fights, and so it's just something that, you know, I had an affection. I, I've always had an affection for. Um, who's your favorite boxer? Oh, it's tough, man. I don't know. Mike Tyson comes to mind right yes, away. Yes, yes. Brooklyn. <laughs> 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 It's funny, you could take the guy out of Brooklyn, but Brooklyn's always in your heart no matter what. <laughs> yeah, man, that's nearly come on. So, uh, but yeah. Oh, Mike Tyson, that's the only boxer you like? Or you don't like Mayweather? Yeah, I, I don't have a thought. I know he's, I, I've seen, what a little I've seen of him, I can see why everybody think he's one of the best. He's definitely yeah. one of the best, I can see that. Right, yeah, the man with the hands of stone. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah I mean, hands of stone. I watched him fight. Hands of stone. He's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> I pay tribute to the old school because you know I'm 53 now, man. So, like, that's what happened. Wow, man, you look the same though, man. From when you look back Thank then, you. you look the same. Except, except less hair, but you look the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean that with the utmost respect. <laughs> Are you follically challenged, or, or or you just started doing it bald? You know, like do you have all your no, hair? My hand, you know what? You find my hair just fell out, man. I looked in the mirror one day. I was trying on some clothes at some place, <laughs> and they had those like mirrors that surround you. And yeah. I saw the back of my head, and I had like a yarmulke. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 Yeah. <laughs> 
It's great. So, um, getting involved in movies, um, you've been in, in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows, and you know, you played a lot of roles where you know you're a mugger, a skinhead, a gang member, a Latino. Um, is it? Um, did you feel at first like getting all these roles? Were you being typecast at first because of the way you looked? I came up against that. Yeah, I did come up against it early on. I think I still come up against it, more or less. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. I, my first experience, luckily, was actually very positive. Because, um, you know, I'll bring you back to the teacher uh, that I studied with. And quickly, you know, he was adamant about me auditioning, even though I hated the process. And I think any actor who's a performer who's honest will tell you they hate that process. But, you know, or maybe some people love it. I don't know. I, I can't say how you can love standing up in front of a firing squad. You know, but anyway, the point is this. I auditioned, I auditioned, I auditioned, I hated it, man. But then finally, I got a callback. And yeah. the callback was for a film, a Hollywood movie, that they were doing. And I got called back twice. And I met with the producers, I met with the director, and it turned out that Richard Pryor was starring in the movie. And then I got word that I was hired, which blew my mind, because management called me up, say, hey, call us back, and I thought, oh, okay, I didn't get it, you know, there's no way I'm going to be like crazy, this will never happen, Hollywood movie, these big producers come and see me, you know, even though I had a good experience with the audition, they brought me back, you're still, you're thinking about all these other people that auditioned, you know, and you're like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to win that lottery ticket? But I did. And next thing I know, I'm flying to Hollywood, man, for three months in the contract with Warner Brothers. I meet Richard Pryor on the set. He was cool with me. He said, hey, Robert, what are you doing next week? You want to come and watch the Sugar Ray Hagler fight at my house? Oh, shit. I said, okay. I said, oh, are you out of the Navy? Oh, are you out of the Navy? I'm with Richard Pryor now, hanging out in the house. And yeah, I played a character. It was a comedy, too, man. I played a character that was a little bit nefarious, so, you know, kind of on the, on the, on the mischievous side. But it was a comedy, though. He was a funny character. And Richard, had a, we had a ball working together, man. So, you know what? My first experience, luckily, was not tainted with any negativity, because that already had the negativity, right? Yeah. This was a positive experience. But when Richard said to me, Robert, you're going to do well. He just said, don't get crazy. He said some really beautiful things to me that I never forgot. I kept those close to my chest. So no matter what happened, no matter what happened after that, it didn't matter, man, because I had a legend. That I, used to, I used to listen to records of his when I was in the Aleutian Islands. Yeah. watch movies about him and then now I'm working with him like wait a minute this is like divine the cosmos the creation talking to me to Richard you know mm-hmm. I was like okay I'm listening to this man so yeah I was typecast I played they maybe played skinheads I played all these thugs and stuff after that but I never forgot what he told me and I, and I had a good time doing all that stuff so while they were typecasting me I was still having fun playing I was yeah. just playing in the street all the stuff I did for real <laughs> when yeah. I was a kid, now I'm getting paid and I don't have to go to jail prison, right? so I think well maybe this is a good way to start and I'll work it out this way the psychodrama and get paid you know and maybe one day somebody will see beyond the projection of negativity and identify art as as uh, some kind of you know disease like you're, you're a social pariah because you have tattoos maybe somebody will look at me and see my heart and understand like that's what I like about what Richard uh, Emery created with, with, with uh, the keeper because, you know, it's, it's this idea like, that, you know, human beings, you know, that humans began tattooing themselves to emulate, you know, great warriors and heroes, man. It wasn't supposed to be a negative thing. I mean, the Egyptians were doing it, you know. So anytime that some individual who's got enough insight and a, and a, and a, and a heart and a soul can see... The, 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 the complete individual and not just go, well, man, because you, you colored yourself or you, you, you marked yourself. we got a problem with that. You know, that doesn't fit within, like you said earlier, the cookie cutter. But I'm like, well, why should it? 
You know, what, what does it have to always mean this? So I think that, you know, occasionally I'll come across people like Richard Henry and other people that would go, no, man, that's beautiful, man. I love, what, what, tell, tell, me, tell me a story, man. What, what is that communicating? What, what's going on with that? What, what inspired you? Or not, why did you do that to yourself? Like, hey, man, that's beautiful. I did your work on that. What's behind it, man? Talk to me about this. So occasionally you come across these brave souls, these intelligent people that aren't locked up in prejudice, they're not uptight, and they'll actually communicate and look, they don't look at it as a problem, they look at it as art, man, which I think is what it is. Yeah. You know, it can be many things depending on the individual and the circumstance, but, you know, I like to look at it in the positive, you know? Mm-hmm. I know, and then, you know, from, you know, of course, you know, um, I look at it as positive, too. I'm just, you know, saying, like, what, uh, you know, the preconceived notion of what people automatically see when they see you. Oh, yeah. You know. It's a nightmare. But it was a, it, 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 you know, to, to, to respond to that, if I may, is it okay if I just give you a quick little thing on that? Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I think some of the most difficulty and the, some of the greatest challenges I've faced, man, were for my, my, my so-called fellow, quote-unquote, thespians. Because yeah. they could not understand yeah. why I was working. You know, some of them, well, they were following the rules and doing, the, you know, the, 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 the whitewashed, you know, cookie cutter, you know, homogenized, whatever they're supposed to do based on what the corporate corporation wants, yeah. whatever they're selling to the, to the, to the mass population. Um, I was doing something else, and, I, and they weren't, some of them weren't getting hired. They weren't working, doing the right thing. And I was supposed, supposedly doing the wrong thing and getting hired. So they were like, oh, man, you're just getting these parts because of your tattoos. <laughs> or, hey, man, you never work in the industry. Or well, maybe if you work, you'll, you know, they'll put you in a long shirt. You'll, you'll, you'll be in the circus or something. So I had a lot of things that were said to me. But when I showed up at auditions, Ethan, I, I, I would be told by the casting director, excuse me, uh, the, the, uh, the messenger entrance is about a while back. And I'm like, not here to deliver a package. He said, what? I'm here to audition. Oh. And this happened to me many times. So I almost felt like, like a black man living in the 1950s going on auditions, man. You get to the back of the bus, you know? Yeah. Get to the back. What are you doing here? And then when I sit in there at these auditions, I have all these other actors staring at me. And when I got on the set, too, it just wouldn't stop. So there were times it was very challenging, whether it was the casting directors, whether it was other actors, or whoever, throwing negativity my way because of the ink, you know? And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's something you have to deal with. And, you know, I was dealing with it in New York long before I even tried to step on a movie set. I had people trying to fight with me on the street or have given me, given me grief or trying to start problems with me because they didn't understand the ink or they wanted to challenge it, you know? So it wasn't nothing new. Uh, I just I just sucked it up and I dealt with it. I just focused on what Richard Pryor told me. I focused on all the people in my life, man, that gave me positive and didn't have any problem with none of that. You know, and I saw something bigger and greater than, than some of these fools around me were projecting onto me. You know, but I'm not saying it was easy. It was painful, man. It was excruciating. It hurt a lot, man. There were times I was just like, why did you know? You know so and and and, and I, I didn't ever say I wanted to give up. But when management tells you, you know, manager, man, I'm not working with these these people anymore. But when management even says, hey, Robert, you know, you'd be a, uh, you'd be this or at this level if you didn't have that. I'm like, really? You must not know me very well, manager, because if I didn't have this, which is me, what I'm expressing, I'd be dead right now. Mm-hmm. People don't understand me. Do you just want me to be this thing so I can make some money? Do you know, and be in the situation? But then if I lose my soul or my myself or my authentic, whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, if that's okay, so yeah. that you can sell something, you know. And I, could, I never felt comfortable with that, and I still don't. I think that's probably why I'm not in the mainstream. You know, occasionally I pop up in the mainstream, but then they're like, okay, thank you. And then you know, I work with these independent filmmakers or people like Richard, you know, Embry, or people that are 
are cutting edge who don't want to deal with the, with the red tape of Hollywood. They want to create something different because their perception is different. And I think there's a new generation, I hope, that's coming up that's not afraid to express themselves. And maybe one day the producers and the corporations, rather than exploiting that, will start to write intelligent stories like Richard has, has written and, and Mark Cervona, the artwork that he's created for the, for the Keepers. Amazing. But I don't see too many too many examples of that in films yet, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of sad. Maybe one day, you know, I don't know. But it, 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 it's not going to make me go around and go, well, my life is wrong, mm-hmm. you know. My life is my life, you know. I can't mm-hmm. deny and, and, and betray my own life history, my own life journey, especially the people that came up to me and say, Robert, yeah, I got my first tattoo because of you, man, thank you. Or, because they, they dealt with the same grief in their household, in, in social situations, or at work, and just told me, thank you, man. Women have told me this, thank you. Men have told me this from all walks of life that they appreciate me taking these risks, man, because they're not, they don't feel so alone in the world. So then I realized, oh shit, I have a responsibility, man, to that. You know, it ain't just about me anymore. It's about other people appreciating that. So I'm glad I never betrayed them, listen to them stupid managers, or anybody who said, man, you need to laser those off. You need to, because I have people trying to tell me, take them off, get rid of them, you'll wow. work more. Wow. You get more jobs, you get to play these different kind of characters. I'm like, okay. But, but it's crazy that's what makeup is for if you see The Rock who does movies he got that long Samoan piece tattoo if he if requires a role that he needs to color it down they'll color it down so you yeah. know yeah. you know well you know, you know they, they have they have you know what I call their chosen you know they're, they're, they're elect they're people they're, they're, they're those that they, they will do that with you know and others they yeah. if, you know if they don't if they don't feel it's, it's, it, it makes sense it don't make sense to them if they don't feel that it's lucrative but they don't want to take the time to understand it They'll consign to the island of Miss Victoria to leave it alone. They won't do that with anybody. You know? I know. Unless, you know, so that's, that's just the way it is. And, and so you move, you move past that and just like focus on the art form, man. You know, as much as you can. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of the art form, you've been in, there's so, so much movies that you've been in, and especially a lot of TV. I'm kind of surprised that you went to the soap opera route when you went to General Hospital, and you came out, <laughs> <laughs> I was very surprised, you know, I'm saying, it, <laughs> hey, hey. I was surprised, you know, you know was more surprised than you, though? What? With respect to you, brother, you know, the, the, the cast, <laughs> you, know, the soap opera actors, you know, the same way some people look at me at those auditions, but the same way. The casting director who said, "Yo, the the, uh, the messenger answers is around back." They all looked at me like that too. Really, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't look at me like that with the producers because they're like, "Well, we can make money with this." You know, I didn't understand it. I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew that um, I needed to work. You know, yeah. and at that time in my life, I don't you know, financially. I was struggling, and you know, management at the time was, you know, you can do this, you can do this. I'm like, really? And, and, and at first, when it, when I went on there. It wasn't, there wasn't any plan to have me stick around. They were just going to do the usual, okay, a couple episodes and then shoot him or, you know, put him in prison or have the character killed off. Yeah. But I guess what happened was that the public responded because they'd never seen anything like that. So I didn't fit, you know, fit in any of that, you know. And yeah. I think people started responding and they saw that and the ratings went up because it was controversial. And, and also because, you know, um, with respect to whatever community that watches the show and people that watch the show, yeah, I, I, I spice things up a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I get some flavor because of the way I look, right? Yeah. And so, according to what I was told. So, I mean, I think that helped, but it also made some of the cast members angry because they felt foolish. Like, what's this street guy with all these tattoos, this, this whatever, you know, this thing? What did he do with it? And then I felt, well, not everybody was like that to me, but I did feel something. You know, and it was it didn't feel good. 
good, man. And, and, and honestly, the reason I... Here's the thing. I was on the show, but I left the show. Yeah. And I left the show based on the instruction of an, an agent that said, listen, we got this horror movie we'd like you to do. And want to consider that. And other people were like, you're crazy. You're walking away from yeah. a cash cow, man. Because you know, the show, obviously, these, these TV shows, probably don't pay more money than an independent movie. Right? Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 there was something in me that just felt, you know what, let me do this film. I want to keep doing movies. There's something about movies. And it was a horror film. It was a little, something a little bit different. What was the film? And, uh, what was the horror film? You know, it's called Autopsy. Autopsy. Okay, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Autopsy. It's Autopsy. I think the, the star of the film was Robert Patrick. Yes. And we filmed it in Louisiana and at and, and a functioning mental institution, which was very interesting. Yeah, another story. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I left the show early, and I think people were like, well, where are you? How come? And I was getting a lot of people in the street coming up to me. When are you coming back to the soap opera? When are you coming back to the soap opera? And I never came back to the soap opera because I think I pissed off the producers because I left. It was like, what are you doing? You're going to go do a movie? And, you know, I was told by the agency, yeah, go do the movie. You can always come back to the soap opera, but, you know, I was lied to, man. So, you know, the soap opera people weren't happy that I wanted to, like, pursue other things. They wanted me on that show. And I think a lot of people out of fear, because they got that constant paycheck coming, stay on the show. I didn't. And I lost. I didn't lose anything. I, you know, I think for some people, I gained integrity. You know, like, finally, he's not good. He's not on the show anymore. But other people were like, oh, man, I miss him on the show. Yeah. And then other people understood, I guess, maybe that, you know, it was a creative choice, but, you know, you can't make your decisions based on what other people think. you got to do what your instinct tells you, and that's what I did, you know. Oh. And I, I was tortured for a while by, you know, the voices of people around me saying, yo, I'll miss you on that show, I'll miss you on that show. I'm like, well, I'm doing this now, but they don't want to hear that because they're tuning into something that makes sense to them, you know, that's on television and they tune into the box and they get into that thinking you can't get about, out of it. And it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with with that, that's their trip. That's what they wanted. But you know, as an artist, I like to believe we're all evolving, man. I'm trying to, you know, do something different. Jimi Hendrix, you know, wanted to break out and do different types of music, and not everybody understood that. When he was trying to evolve and go in a different direction and get away from the hype, you know, and not that what he did was just hype. It was genius, but he was still growing and evolving. He didn't want to play the same songs anymore. Yeah. And that's Jimi Hendrix, man. You know, he was catching flack from the record companies. You know, your account is here, Jimmy. You got to do these concerts. You got to do these appearances. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to do something else. And, and restrate, reshape, and restructure his whole creative evolution. But not everybody thought that made sense. And, and I feel like when I look back at my life, some of the creative or professional choices from the outside observer didn't make much sense. But instinctively, they did. Like, I, I want to do this. So yeah. I don't think there's any wrong or right. You know, you appear yeah. on a show, do it. You don't go on these shows thinking, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to be a caricature. Yeah. You don't go on these shows going, I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to hate the character. I'm not going to judge the character. You just go there thankful yeah. that someone's giving you a job. And then you, with respect to the art form, you do it justice by doing the best you know how. Yeah. So you can authenticate, authenticate even a cartoon character. If they, make, yeah. if they write something that has only two dimensions, guess what? I was taught by my teachers to create that, to add that a third dimension to make yeah. it real and believable. Even if the writers didn't conceive it, and then they come back around and go, oh, wow, Robert, you created something that we didn't even imagine. You know, because they don't see you as a human being, man. <laughs> 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 like, hey, man, the talking monkey. Oh, well, behold, the monkey who speaks. Wow, he can actually talk. <laughs> he could talk and shit at the same time, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, because your character, Manny Ruiz, he got killed, but then you played the same, you played uh, Father Mateo, so um, did they try to kill you off and then they regretted it, or what, was it always... Happened. This is the story, the real story, the true story. It's really such a thing. The true story coming from me is this. All right. Um, 
happened was some of the actors on the show when I was on them yeah. weren't too happy with the storylines that were going down because Manny Ruiz kept Ruiz kept, kept escaping he kept you know fooling everybody he was the trickster right he kept coming yeah. up with ways to just keep going like, a, like the Energizer Bunny man <laughs> and so that pissed them off so they went upstairs a couple of people went, I don't know who they were they went upstairs and they complained to the producers and the writer and they said, Rod, the producer said, Robert, we're so sorry. We love you. You're a mensch. You know, you think you're a great man and all this kind of thing. And you're a good guy. But, you know, we got to let you go. So they let me go. Wow. And uh, I was really sad. You know, I felt bad, you know, because it was like, that never happened before. You know, we like, let go. Never let go like that. You know, so I was kind of bummed out. And then I went back on Nip Top for a while. And I think what happened was, my understanding was Robert Cusa. And Robert Cusa, who was the writer, head writer, who had a lot of power back then on the show. Probably saw that was back on uh, Nip Top. And, and also, I think the people, a lot of the fans were like, what happened to, to, to Manny? Where's Robert? Yeah. And, you know, back by popular as a man, they, they saw that, the producers saw that and said to the actors, whoever actors that were pissed, said, you know, we don't care, we're bringing Robert back. So I was, I was brought back by popular to man. I think the fans had a lot to do with that. Wow. I think also appearing on the fourth season of Nip Tuck, yeah. which followed shortly after that. I mean, after they released me from, from General Hospital, I was asked by Ryan Murphy to appear on the fourth season of the Tuck because they reintroduced uh, Escobar Marathon again. Yeah. Started that whole thing, and that brought power to my bankability in television. I think the people of Soap said, oh shit, we're crazy, what do we do? We gotta bring this guy back. And I think that times, you know, the fans made, it, made that happen. And I think that's why they got so angry when I decided, even after that, to pursue a film career. You know, or at least, you know, say, hey, I'm gonna go do this movie, can I come back? And they're like, no, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to Nip Tuck. Speaking of Nip Tuck, because you know Ryan Murphy yeah. is like a cash cow with the American Horror Stories, but Nip Tuck, I think, right. was one of the first shows to come on FX. Um, getting on Nip Tuck, like you know, Nip Tuck was super popular at that time. The whole Carver storyline, you know, I, you know, I was a huge fan of that. Um, how did you get that role of Escobar? I I went in and I read for uh, Michael Robbins, who was one of the associate producers at the time. I read for Ryan Murphy, and uh, I got a callback. I read again, and then they hired me. Wow, just like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty, it was it was intense. I mean, I, I, you know, it was a lot of guys. There was other men in the room as equally qualified as me. And I saw them all there, you know, leering at each other. You sit there all the other gladiators to go into the Coliseum, you know, yeah. to get down for Caesar, man. And uh, I got down for Caesar like everybody else. You know, mm. there's probably other men that probably felt they were more qualified or, you know, probably, you know, closer to uh, the, the cultural bloodline than me. You know, how dare Robert, you know, to, to do that. But for whatever reason, you know, you know, the luck of the draw maybe a little bit of ability and I don't know maybe because Ryan had an affection for me who knows because yeah. I've never met the man before oh, but, wow. uh, you know, it, it just happened and you know it worked out it just was fortuitous and it's one of those I think you know, that's going to be when luck comes into play because I had no idea that the show would be so successful to me it's just another opportunity to work to do my thing I was like happy to just do my thing and move on to the next thing you know but I didn't have any idea it was going to become this what it became yeah. Um. Going back to General Hospital real quick, I forgot to ask you this. Um. How was how was it like working with Maurice Bernard? Because he's like a class act actor. I just want to know how how was the vibe working with him? Um. You know, I didn't have too many scenes with him, but the little bit I did see of him, he was always very very serious. I, I can appreciate his his discipline. He seemed very serious about the work. Which yeah. I, you know, a few times we spoke, I got the vibe that he's very very into that. So yeah, I, I think that he's like you say, class act, and he, he takes the work extremely serious and, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. um so far um i was gonna ask you also what is your most memorable moment so far in acting do you have any memorable moments 
um, what comes to mind? Does anything come to mind? What comes to mind? What comes to mind? Past, let's see, past, present, technology, memorable moments in the past. Memorable moments in the past would be the story I told you, meeting Richard Pryor. Yeah. Amazing. That was incredible for me. That was surreal. So that's a memorable moment, a pivotal moment in my life and career. Uh, let's see, creatively, um, uh, I think, well, even though it wasn't necessarily an opportunity to do much, going to uh, Hawaii, to the island of Kona, uh, to do a movie I was in for a second called Walla Walla was a beautiful experience. Yeah. I'd never been to Hawaii on that, and that, and that, and that level, so that was kind of nice. I met Kevin Costner, that was pretty cool. He seemed like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. So that was a beautiful experience I can remember. Uh-huh. Um, and then, I think creatively, yeah, um, yeah, Nip Talk, some of the stuff I did on Nip Talk was surreal, like out-of-body experience, man, like some of the stuff I was asked to do was so out there, <laughs> yeah. like the sexual stuff. Yes, man. yes. I sometimes felt that I was in, I don't know, like I left my body at times just so I could get through the scene, like, and I watched yeah. the physical do the act, and I thought, well, what, you know, is going on here, and I got, I did it, and I was like, well, and, 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 <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> memorable. Um, especially, you I was an action. How was it like working with um, Steven Seagal? Steven, you know, Steven was also another person that came into my life, not just, you know, as the celebrity Steven Seagal or, you know, the movie star. He was actually really, for me, he was a really very important person to be around because of what was going on in my personal life. Um, he, let me tell you a quick story. I met Steven at an audition for a movie called Hard to Kill, right? Yeah. And he hired me after I auditioned. And when I was on a set doing that with him, he said, hey, Robert, I like you. And we talked a little bit. He said, I got a, a film project I'm doing. He told me the story about a few guys in Brooklyn. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, and uh, I think there'll be something in there with Mike Fields. I said, thank you, Steve. He said, you know, you hear this all the time. Because in a way, you're not that young. I had a And you just could move on. And that's nice. And, but he was nice to me. He was cool. You know? and so a year later, uh, I get a call from management. Uh, Steven Seagal wants you to come meet. Uh, they want you to meet with Steven and his director for a new movie he's doing. I'm like, oh. Oh, wait a minute. So I go in there, I meet him, and he's there, and we do a little improv. Next thing you know, I'm hired to do a movie called Out for Justice. Yeah. So here you go. You got a man in Hollywood that keeps his word. Yeah. <laughs> How often does that happen? 
uh, not too much, especially on that level. So he, he kept his word, and not only did he keep his word, when I, when I filled out for justice, like I said, I had some, some, some real challenges going on, you know, socially. And uh, he was worried about me. He said, Rob, I'm, I'm worried about it. You know, and he said, I, I, wanna, I don't want you to ruin your life. You know, and, uh, if, and, he, and he went on to talk some more about the details of that particular drama that I was in. And he, he uh, made it very clear that he helped me get out of it so that I could continue on with my life and not ruin my career, man. And he meant it. And so that's all I can say about Stephen. He's a class act, man. He's a stand-up guy, and he, he, he kept his word. And, and, and he also looks out for you. If he likes you, man, he's got your back. He had my back at least back then. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, you play, you know, you remind me like of, of a Vin Diesel type because you know how Vin Diesel could play like a multicultural character. Yeah. You're like, yeah. yeah. You. That's a great comment. Thank you for the comment. No, not a problem. You know, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, you're definitely like the same way because you know, you know, I, you know. I, at first, I, you know, I, I kind of thought you was Latino at first, like when I first, you know, seen your work because you know that's like the roles you get, and then you know yeah. you're Italian my and. My mother was Spanish. If it's any use to you, my mother was Puerto Rican. Oh yeah. Oh wow! All there's right. Little, there's, there's, there's several elements. There's a couple of elements moving through my bloodline. There's Italian, there's Spanish, and there's Native American. Oh. And my grandmother was Cherokee Indian. Oh wait, wait. So, so your grandmother's is Puerto Rican, right? Your mother's Puerto yeah, my Rican. Mo- no, my mother was. Your mo- and then your father was That's pure. What I was told. Yeah, my biological father was was Italian, and then uh, his mother was. Uh, I think she was part Italian, but also I think the dominant uh, was was she, she was Indian. She seen her cheekbone. She looked like she was Cherokee, but, but Native American. So I got some of that from her. Well, uh, wow, yeah. wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, yeah, they put the name up, but like I said, when we were talking before the show, I mentioned to you that La Fargo, the, the name is, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an adopted name because, you know, my biological father never, you know, he didn't, his, his, his stepfather, the name was Sargon, he adopted him, and so we took on the name after that. Oh. I never knew my grandfather. I never knew the, the actual bloodline, the, blood, the bloodline name. So uh, La Fargo is actually, uh, it's a fallacy. It's, it's, it's a reality in terms of legality and what, I'm, what my name is, but it's not my real name. I don't even know my real name. <laughs> wow, that's that's crazy. We talked about that earlier. Like, let's change it to Bly, Robert Bly. Robert Bly. <laughs> it's, it's one syllable, man. You know, Robert Bly. <laughs> wow. You ever thought about doing those, um, what you would call it, um, Ancestries.com and looking up? Or that's something you know? Nah, even... You know, like, for a minute, I, I, for a, maybe a second, a minute in my life, I thought about that. But, you know, honestly, each day I look in the mirror, I feel like I know, I know less about who I am and what I imagine myself to be. And that's okay. Because sometimes what I've imagined myself to be hasn't helped me. You know what I mean? In terms of perception. So I think less attachment to ideas in terms of culturism or identity that lock me up in something that I don't feel comfortable with, it probably is good. You know, I'm trying to just, you know, just, like I said earlier, I've traveled so much and I've met so many different people that have affected me, that have affected my spirit and my my DNA, that I don't know if I... it's even if I'm doing myself any justice by, you know, putting myself in a category, man. I don't know why any of us do that. Yeah. Um, you have, um, there's a thing of, um, that's on production now, Show Me Your Tad. Um, what is that about? I'm sorry, can you back up? I, I didn't hear you in that last one. Um, you have, you, you, you have, um, you have something coming up in production called Show Me Your Tat? No, that's, that's, that's not happening. No, that's, that's, that was something that was, uh, that I discussed, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen? Yeah. All right. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, there's other stuff, though. I mean, there's the Yeah, keeper, yeah, yeah, that, 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 
Yeah, I want to get into that now. The Keeper comic is a graphic novel. You're part of the creative process behind it. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What What is that about, and how much hands-on are you involved in it, besides, you know, the likeness of the character looking like you? Well, you know, Richard Emery and I have had many discussions about this. And, okay. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think it's young men like him that give me hope because his perception is so broad and he's very intelligent, has insight in his writing, especially with his writing and the way he communicates. Um, and, you know, so I think he, 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 yeah, I think this story definitely has emphasis on tattoo culture, you know, in which, you know, which people with tattoos aren't seen as the villains. And, I, and that's, that's, you know, that's what I love about that is that that's Richard right there. He understands. Like, he's the, he's the guy that I mentioned earlier that would look at me and say, man, I, I dig the I game. Tell me your story. You know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's the, the genesis of it is that, you know, he, I think he's fascinated by, by storytelling and, and creating stories, also my story. And I think that's where the integration of this wonderful, you know, uh, creative alliance started. Uh, and I think that, he, you know, I think with this project, we have a chance to bring something different to the table without, you know, the, the, having to deal with, you know, the, the red tape of Hollywood, which helps a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also the character that he's created, too, is, is pretty cool. You know, Don, this character, Dante, this is, is just, I can kind of relate on some level because I can always appreciate things that are a bit, um, I don't know, on the edge, you know, and are, are, are uh, that allow any artist, especially myself, to, to move away from something that's negative or just something that's one thing that has no, that has, that's not, it doesn't have any, any, um, any intelligence or any evolution. There's no upward mobility in terms of the character's evolution. If you continually show up in, in lessons of incarceration, then you face extinction because there's nowhere to go. You know, because you're always, you know, there's always this destructive act, right? Because boom, everybody goes, whoa, look at that, and then it's done. There's nothing else there. You know, and so I think what Richard's created is a character that has uh, has feelings, has intelligence, and I think akin to some of the you know the, the kind of the, I guess Christian or Catholic archetypes, you know, like uh, Archangel Michael, you know, holding the scales. You know, that aspect of that image I can relate to in terms of Dante because he's he's the keeper, he's the gatekeeper, he keeps the balance. Man, instead of showing up to wreak havoc or create turmoil, he's actually there to prevent that or to try to keep the balance in the world because we you know, our world is so conflicted right we have positive negative we have positive influences we have people trying the peacemakers they're trying to keep things at peace but in order to do that you have to start to employ what violence right yeah so dante i think he's he's, he's a warrior right and, yeah. and he's got these tattoos but the interesting thing about the tattoos man is like you know is when when he like dante um i should maybe catch my thinking here um when Dante defeats it, like say he, say he fights demons in the story, he fights demonic forces or, or negativity, that when he defeats an enemy, that enemy becomes trapped in his skin and appears as a tattoo. Yeah. But to me, that's really cool, man. Wow. <laughs> that's a different, that's a different, you know, take on the on the ink, you know, as opposed to what we're seeing in the past. So you have tattoos, so you're bad. As opposed to no, this guy is keeping the balance. He's actually going up against forces in the world that are trying to destroy things or make the world just dark and there's no light, right? Yeah. So he fights these men or these, these demons or these, these various creatures, whatever they are, and when he defeats them, they appear on the skin. Yeah. So, oh. so that was really badass. That kind of, I was like, wow, that's different. Uh-huh. Is the comic going to be, is the graphic novel going to be for like a limited run? See how it goes? or? Uh, you know, I think this is a very ambitious campaign. I think it's, it's going to be, you know, uh, ultimately something that continues uh, you know, I mean, there's an eight-page 
digital comic that you know we love to share with the people so they can get a, a taste of you know what we plan to bring. And, and obviously that's on the website. But I, you know, I think with this, based on what Richard's told me, the response already is huge. And people are very, just from what they read already, which is available on the uh, the website that they're responding to it. They want more. So just from that alone, I'm, I'm you know I guess we feel confident. We'd like to feel confident that it'll be more than just that. And it's the the um the keepercomic dot com if people want to check it out, right? Yeah, it's also you can yeah, if you go to you know www.forestpublishing.com dot com for the free download, you can check it out just to get a taste of, of it, what it is. And it's interesting because Dante is not he's he's not just a, he's not a thug, he's not just some some guy. He's just basically he's an immortal being. You know the, the character that that, uh, that uh, Richard conceived is he's he's not he's not even neither an angel or a demon. He's just like this species created by I guess he's going to call it God the creator and he's the keeper you know to be the keeper of Eden you know the original world the old the ancient world you know mm-hmm. and throughout time you know this, this species his lineage has been coined as the keeper by people that know him mm-hmm. yeah so it's pretty cool you know, I think some of the history you know mm-hmm. what he's created uh, a couple of more questions for you Robert um um what is your personal motto in life my personal motto in life? Yep. Oh, what should I think? Um, I mean, the, first thing come, just the first thing that came to mind was what I remember, you know, uh, an actor saying in a movie, which is, I think Will Smith said this to, he played a father in a movie, he told his son, don't let anybody tell you you can't do something, not even me. That's my motto. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something, not even your own father. No one. Don't even tell you you can't you know, achieve what you want to achieve in life. Yeah. Just keep going, you know? I was gonna ask you also. Um, do you regret not ever appearing on Breaking Bad? Because I thought like you probably fit the mold if they. Oh, thank have, you. You oh, know. Oh. Oh. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Said like what? No, no. I said like, did you ever regret not getting like a call like to come out on Breaking Bad? Because I thought if anybody would have had a good character over there, if if um Vince Gilligan would have came up with a good character, you probably are the essence of like a character that could definitely be on that show when it was on. I think this is a great question. I tell you why I think this is a great question because in the question I think maybe there may be some insight into how the industry works in terms of the decisions that are made being arbitrary and unjust. Specifically, that to answer your question, mm-hmm. I did audition for that show several times and was not hired. So what? I guess my question is why. Now, can it be said that sometimes when, when a performer plays a song or does a dance and whatever, they go off key or they don't do their best? Of course. You know, I mean, like to bring up Jimi Hendrix again, I watched a video of him trying to play the guitar and he was stumbling to the first chords and he said, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. I'm nervous as hell right now. Can I do that again? And, he, and they said, yeah, of course. They let him do it again. The difficulty in my industry, or not my, it's not my industry, the industry of, 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 this, of this game that, that, that I am in is that they don't let you sometimes do it twice. It's not like a baseball game where you get up to the bat, you get up to the bat, right? And the pitcher throws the ball at you and you swing and miss, right? Okay, yeah. so he throws it again. You're given, what, three attempts at the ball. When I go into these things sometimes, prepared, ready to go, they throw the ball at me. Sometimes they hit me with a curveball. Sometimes, who knows what kind of, how, what kind of pitch I'm going to get. I do my best to hit that ball. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not always going to hit that ball. But then the best baseball player in the world, or some of the best you know, baseball players in the world, have not always hit the first ball, even the second one. You have sometimes, you know, the law of three. You got to throw that ball three times, and then maybe get a base hit. You can get caught. Maybe get a home run. But 
What I'm saying is it's been my experience. I'm not blaming anybody for that. It's an enigma to me. I don't understand why. They sometimes, depending on the casting or the producer or whoever, because sometimes no one's even in there except the camera and the casting director. The producers and the directors are not present even to see how you handle the second pitch or the third pitch. They just throw one at you. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, like I said, a lot of decisions I feel that are made are arbitrary and just and unjust. Um, you don't get hired. You know, and, and, and I don't know what it is. I don't know why. Uh, you know, maybe it's physical physicality. Maybe you know, like I said, you don't always. If you ask the best performer on, on a dime, on a give it to me now, you may not get the, their best work. If you give them a minute to warm up and then let them go, then you might get something. What I'm saying is, they don't always allow you that. So these shows that you mentioned, Breaking Bad, American Horror Story, I've auditioned for them. Why I've not been hired, I don't know. You know, it's no. not, I don't think that has anything to do with my work ethic because Lord knows I, I, I'm always, you know, trying my best to, to bring uh, bring respect to the art form itself. Yeah. Know, so that you know, whatever I do, we think a lot, man, he tried that, that was great what he did, but there's other things that have no control of, physicality, whatever, but then you would say, well, that makes no sense because look at the premise of a show like that and what you represent in, in media or what they what they portrayed you as. It's yeah. perfect for this and there's probably a lot of people that would agree with you, but then it still remains that I'm not there. <laughs> so there it is. So you, you, can get, you can pull from that whatever you want, man. You know, you can't get up, you can't get too upset about it. It's just the way it is, man. Yeah. Life isn't fair, but we all know that. So yeah. what you do, you just continue and hope that maybe someday somebody wakes up yeah. and sees something. Yeah, it's kind of funny because in NYPD Blue, you play like different characters, and certain other shows you play different characters too. So you know, I, I you know, I, I just found it, you know, I just found it funny though. Like, wow, you know. Yeah, I don't know anymore. I, try, I stopped trying to understand. <laughs> um, with respect to your question, I, I, I've scratched my head many times until my hair fell out. Right? So, so I've scratched my head for years trying to understand what governs the decisions in terms of, of of that of that competitive struggle and the people sitting there and what do they base them on? When you have a track record record that continues to show that no matter what's given to you. You still make impact, even on a bad day. People go, "Wow, man, that's pretty believable." That's, that, I, I'm paying attention to that. So why is it though that the people in power are not paying attention anymore, or why they choose to pay attention only for a certain amount of time, and then they're not paying attention anymore? I don't know the answer. I just know that when someone says, hey, "Rob, I got a job for you," I'm like, "Thank you," and we get I just rock I don't always know where, what platform of media that particular project's going to go. You know, whether it's the keeper, you know, for this graphic novel, which is something completely new for me, which I love, you know, yeah. or it's my latest, latest independent film I'm doing, or whatever the, the thing is, you have no control over what happens. All you can do is hope that you did a good job, the people, you're grateful that the people around you still feel good that they hired you, and that maybe the fans, the people who like to watch good movies or watch good good work, go, man, I enjoyed that. Thank you for letting you know, taking my head, my, taking me out of my head for like an hour. Yeah. And my final question to you, Robert, is what would what would the Robert of today tell the Robert of yesterday? <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down? Calm down, man. Calm down, relax. And, and uh, you don't need to buy a sports car, man. Just get a bicycle. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't need to buy a sports car. Buy a bicycle. Yeah. Like and, be, and, and, be, and be a little nicer. Don't be, don't be so damn arrogant, man. Be nicer to your friends. Be nicer to your friends. Be nicer to the people around you, man. They're struggling. They're going through stuff. You have no idea what they're going through. Try to be a little more courteous to people. Yeah. yeah. 
That's what I would tell Robert from the old days. Yeah. Mm. Be understanding about all the people around you, who they are, from all walks of life. Give them love, give them love and respect. Even if they don't give it to you, just, you know, try to be, you know, just keep going. Yeah. Be nice. Cool. Nice. Be respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Robert, you have anything coming up in this year? Any projects? Yeah, yeah. I got the keeper coming up, which I'm really proud of it of, and I uh, can't wait for you guys to check that out. Um, you know, and uh, I got a film coming up called uh, what's it called? Jeez, uh, I think I know this right off the top. Of my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually it's what's it? It's called. Uh, I'm having a moment here. I'm having a moment. Sure. Stay with me. Uh, it's uh, what's it called? It's called. Is it called the Blood Circus? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that's coming out this year. It's an independent film. I got the pizza joint that's coming out. It's a comedy that I'm excited about. I finally got to do some comedy again. Oh, um, wow. You're doing comedy? Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I get to do a, a comedy. No LGs in it. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. We're working a lot together lately. I'm in another film called Secrets of Deception. Which, uh, it's a kind of a thriller. Um, yeah, House Rules. That's the one I'm really excited about. House Rules, uh, which I filmed in Connecticut. And that's coming out this year as well. So basically, I'll be real quick. Play a, a guy who, uh, who uh, initiates or uh, recruits men to fight in something called the Blood Circus, um, which is basically men, you know, kind of like human cockfights where they fight to the death, kind of like Roman gladiator style. Yeah. It's pretty intense. And he's kind of a, uh, he, the character, I dig him. He's kind of, kind of fast-talking, clever, intelligent, you know, guy. And, and But he's also a little shady, but it's interesting because it's different than what I've been doing. It's something, the directors and the writers, I, I really applaud them for allowing me to do something a little bit different in terms of the writing, the way they, they wrote this, this the dialogue and the characters in mind. He plays chess, man, not checkers, which I dig. You know, oh. well, um, who's the cast in this movie, besides yourself? And the name of the film is House Rules. It stars Tom Sizemore, Vincent Pastore from The Sopranos, and a, 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 a bunch of other great, great talents. Oh, okay. And um, if people want to, like, you know, see you on social media or they want to follow you on Twitter, if you do have a Twitter, how can, you know, people, you know, reach out to you? Uh, there's, the, there's the website, uh, you know, robertlosardo.com. There's the Facebook page that has the you know, up, up, updates on the Keeper. Uh, check me out on Facebook. Check me out on the, on the website. Um, yeah, I don't have a Twitter account, but, yeah, definitely Facebook and, uh, and, the, and the website. Well, damn! You need a Twitter, Rob. You need—you definitely need one. I know. I'm trying to catch up in the 21st century, man. I'm a little—I'm a little behind. I'll get there. Uh, you can—you can have somebody do it for you, man. You definitely need one, man, because you know you. Oh, uh, thank you. I, I take it as a compliment. I'll—I'll talk to Rich. Rich has been—he's been trying to guide me through in, 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 into the new world. He's been showing me new things. He's trying to get me in step. <laughs> <laughs> now, Robert, man, it's—it's it's a uh, an extreme pleasure to talk to you, man. I've—I've res respected your work for over the years, and I look forward to seeing what new. Um, new characters you're going to portray in film. So, man, it's a pleasure. I don't. I don't. Thank pleasure. you, sir. I, I appreciate you having me on your show, man. Uh, you know, multiple blessings to you, man. Be safe, good health, you know, be happy, man. Be safe. And I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one.